Hey, everyone. Welcome to Jews on Film, the podcast where we, as Jews, discuss films starring Jews. My name is Daniel. I'm a video editor and uh, Jew who enjoys talking about films with my co-host, Harry. Hey, what's going on, Daniel? My name is Harry. I am a, a former film major as well as a Jew, so uh, somewhat qualified to talk about Jews and film and Jewish movies. And uh, I am delighted to be joined by you and our guest this week to discuss an American pickle. Yeah, let's bring in our guest. We have the wonderful, the delightful, always insightful. I couldn't think of something else that rhymed. Hey, everyone, it's Yuli Mazinowski. Hi. Hello. hello. Cue the laugh track. <laughs> hey, Harry. Hey, Daniel. How are you guys doing tonight? Thanks for, for being on the podcast and discussing this movie. My pleasure. My pleasure. Before we kind of get into the pickle jar here and talk about the movie, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Yuli? Like what... Why did I ask you to be on this podcast? Well, we are good walking buddies after True. Shabbat ends on many weekends, which True. is a very fun thing to do. Mm-hmm. Daniel Daniel is like optimal walking buddy, if you ask me. Oh, thanks. And man. Uh, for real, yeah. And then, um, so I am a literary manager, and my company is called Silver Lake Entertainment, and I work in Hollywood even though I'm based in Seattle and I work with screenwriters, TV writers and novelists, and I help shape their work so that it can get put into, into movies and to television. And so Daniel, you were like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to be a part of this new podcast I'm doing? Like, yes, sign me up. What are we doing? And you were like film. I'm like, I know a little bit about it. So awesome. (laughs) I'm glad you offered me uh, a Seth Rogen movie. I have, I definitely have a point of view on, on the movie and on him in general. And I'm like excited to chat and share and yeah, it's a good idea. What you two, what you two guys are doing here. No, thanks. Well, why don't you save that uh, thought for like the end of the podcast after you've done it? And then no, you can say if it was a good idea. You know what I mean? Cut and paste, cut and paste then. <laughs> you, may, you, may, you may regret being on this podcast, but we'll see. Um, well, that's what yeah. I mean, not on you. That's true. So why don't you tell us, like, what was your background with uh, films growing up? Uh, you know, films of the Jewish variety. What did that mean to you growing up? Films of the Jewish variety, I feel like the one film that sticks out is Fiddler on the Roof. Okay. Because we watched it on TV. Mm-hmm. And on the always, list. We will, uh, for a future episode, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And like Fiddler, I was always rushed out of the room when the scary dead Jews rise up from the graves and torment Tevye and his wife. There's like a scene where that happens. Oh, never saw And that. then I'm like brought back in. And otherwise I have like growing up, no consciousness of... Um, this is growing up like before, let's say college, no real like feeling that like there's Jewish movies, movies about Jews, uh, Jews who do movies. It was all just kind of like movies, like good, bad. Should I watch it? Should I not watch it? I don't think I ever like really linked my Jewishness with, with the movies I was watching. Got it. Did you, so like when you were watching like any Spielberg movie growing up, your parents weren't like... Hey, he's one of us. Uh-huh. It's so interesting because like I did not grow up in a household where people were big fans of Steven Spielberg's. Okay. And so I trying to think he did E.T., which I saw in the theater and really loved as a kid. Yep. And then like went yeah, to like Jones? one of I only saw Raiders, I think, in middle school. Okay. It was like a school trip to see one of the Raiders of the Lost Ark installments, maybe two or three. I don't remember. And it wasn't like, 
yeah, there was never this like, oh, oh, there's a, you know, it's good for the Jews, like so-and-so is directing it. Like that, I cannot remember it. If anything, my background to movies was always like growing up, it's like they took me to like Lasse Hallström, who did My Life as a Dog. He's a Swedish director. Or like okay. they take me to some like French independent thing. Or, you know, it was like kind of equal balance, like whatever was good in the multiplex and or like I saw Chevy Chase's. Um, <laughs> oh, God, what's that movie? You know, The Christmas Vacation. Uh-huh. I saw that like, with yeah, my yeah. dad. Sure. <laughs> like there was really no rhyme or reason to the what. It was just kind of like, oh, this movie seems good. Let's go watch it. No one knew how movies were made. No one knew like that exists, but it's like, I'm a first generation immigrant. And so right. for me, like <laughs> the prospects professionally are lawyer, doctor, or hospital administrator. That's pretty much like <laughs> how the world worked. That's what everyone right. did. And so, yeah, the idea that you could like be in the movies, work in the movies, work with movies, like cutting them, editing them, like, act, like nothing. Yeah. Not, like not a thing. And yet here you are. And here as I am. Name, it's like a writer's <laughs> agent. So like, how did, how did that come about? Like, you know, given that you didn't have like such this, you had an association with movies growing up and, but it sounded like that wasn't one of the choices, you know, growing up. How did, how did you end up here? The very, very short version is that I was doing a PhD in French literature. And after four years of that, they got sick of me and I got sick of them. And I thought, well, I'm now in my mid twenties. I've got to live my life. And uh, after a brief pit stop in Seattle, my hometown, I was like, I just got to go to LA. I can compete and get a job. If I can like get a job in the entertainment industry doing something, then like that's winning because if it wasn't that it was law school pretty much that was like hanging over my head after my PhD experiment and started in the mailroom like moved to LA ended up like everyone like you make calls you take coffees until something happens and so for me what happened was that um you know a friend of a friend introduced me to HR at United Talent Agency and <laughs> interviewed with a few people there and then you know, uh, the, at the time it was much smaller than it is now, but Jeremy Zimmer, who's kind of like a Hollywood agent legend guy, he's like, well, I've got some good news for you. You can start whenever you want. And I'm like, what's the bad news? And he kind of like looked at me. He's like, there's no bad news, but like started in the mailroom. Classic Zimmer. <laughs> I yeah, guess. Classic. I but there is bad, but there was, there's always bad news. It's weird. It's, what, what are we now? 2022? Yeah. So it was in fact, God, 17 years ago, First week of February, I started at UTA. So long, long journey and kind of did my, you know, worked my way up in the mailroom, then was an assistant for two years, two separate bosses. One of them repped screenwriters mostly, the other one repped novelists and journalists mostly. And then uh, I kind of got myself promoted to agent, to a literary agent a year before the writer's strike. And that was like what I call the end of stupid money, like everyone is getting paid and then the strike happened and then that was 2008 bush obama mccain the recession started so hollywood kind of fell apart yeah and then i ended up leaving the agency in 2010 and i started up my own company that spring spring of 2010 and i've been kind of a solo with we in hollywood we call it boutique boutique mm -hmm. manager sounds fancy <laughs> it means antisocial, but uh -huh. boutique <laughs> And yeah, that'll be in March, 12 years I've been okay. solo. So yeah, 
Does that answer the, how did I get to this point question? Yeah. In a very short way, right? (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. So do you mostly deal these days in writers of novels, articles, screenwriters, or kind of like a mixed bag of these folks? My list is more or less split up into like a third of the folks are just writing movie screenplays. A third of the folks are like just writing scripted television. And then the last third kind of comes from all over. They do a little bit of novels, a little bit of like nonfiction, a little bit of, you know, movie writing, a little bit of TV, if they can get it, some have a playwright. So it kind of like works across all these sectors. And, you know, my business is cyclical. There are some years where most of my money comes from my movie stuff. Other years where it's like heavily TV, other years where like everything is kind of flat. I don't know. It's a very like hard, it's cyclical and hard to predict. So you kind of have to do a little bit of everything and hope that things land. You want to like name drop some of the people you rep or is that tech? Like some of the things that have come out of my company or where writers have worked on my company, um, this movie called Lazarus Effect with Olivia Wilde, Lazarus Spec Script, I was heavily involved with another movie called Eggplant Emoji, which premiered on Netflix as a movie called The Package involving a high school camping trip. Or one, well, Harry, you know. I know it. I'm, I'm familiar. Good. Not, you see, I think it's also an age thing. I think some uh-huh. of the older people have never yeah. heard of it or seen it, but like... Can represent the younger demo. Yeah. It was. And I feel like that script was a... a it's an, even in town when we sold it, some of the older execs are like, what is this eggplant emoji thing? And all the assistants were like, come on. Like, <laughs> so yeah, that happened. Um, I had writer, I've had writers on uh, shows like Girls, Craig of the Creek, Tokyo Vice, which is supposed to come out pretty soon on HBO Max. You know, just kind of, it runs the gamut. Sorry to kind of, that I should have, should have flaunted all my credits, but all my writer's credits, but yeah. Well, thanks for all that. It sounds like you've passed the test. You are qualified to discuss the Seth Rogen movie that we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> American God. Pickle came out in 2020. Uh, before we get too deep into the movie, Harry, I'd like to ask you to do the honors and read the official IMDb summary of An American Pickle. Sure. Uh, I will gladly go through that now. I found a good of the many uh, synopses on here. I found a pretty good one. Right. This one was posted by Anonymous, so credit to them. A simple Jewish man named Herschel Greenbaum works in a pickle factory in Brooklyn. One day he falls into a vat of brine and stays there perfectly preserved for a hundred years. He comes back to life and goes to stay with his great, 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 his great, great grandson, Ben in contemporary Brooklyn. So the film is directed by Brandon Trost and written by Simon Rich. Now, Simon Rich, I did a little bit of research about Simon Rich. He was an SNL writer and is now the showrunner and creator of the show called Miracle Workers on TBS with like uh, Daniel Radcliffe and Steve Buscemi. And so he was on SNL for a bit. And Brandon Trost, I looked up his IMDb credits and he was a uh, DP and a visual effects guy who worked with Seth Rogen on a lot of his past pictures. So Simon Rich had originally written a four-part New Yorker article called The Sellout. And we'll put a link to the articles in the show notes. But essentially, there are some similarities and some differences, but the premise is more or less the same, that the character in the article is called Simon Rich, as opposed to Ben Greenbaum. Um, and Herschel Rich is his great-great-great-grandfather who sells pickles. Uh, the premise of this film, as you mentioned, Harry, is Seth Rogen is playing both roles. And so, uh, yeah, I, I feel like in front of the camera, behind the camera, we have Seth Rogen, Simon Rich, 
most likely a Jew, I would assume, based on the the article and and the and the way that the film kind of references a lot of Jewish themes. But what was re- really interesting to me in terms of like how the film was made, Seth Rogen said in this sort of like uh, featurette that they put online that he didn't like the way that fake beards looked, so they shot the film in two halves. So they essentially shot uh, bearded and then unbearded Seth Rogen, and they used like a stand-in who essentially dressed the same way and just you know, had markers on his face. And I'm not sure if they did digital replacement or a green screen combination. Pretty impressive. I I, I would not have uh, figured that one out. Usually they just like split the frame in half and they have one person here and then one person there. But uh, yeah, overall seemed like a pretty interesting film. Lots to talk about where to begin, you know? By the way, Simon Rich is Frank Rich's son. And who's Frank Rich for us? Frank Rich is a famous New York Times columnist. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Got it. And kind of a Hollywood, a quiet Hollywood heavyweight kind of guy. Okay. And so, yeah, there's a lot of shade thrown at Simon for his starting on third base with respect to writing and screenwriting. I hear that. FYI, not Lushan Hara, just like describing the setting the table, if you will. Yeah, no, I know. I like that you mentioned that, actually. And I haven't reread. I haven't actually read the uh, the story that he published in a while. But I guess speaking more specifically to the movie itself, that does feel a little bit in line with uh, with this character, you know, with the lead character where he's sort of living in this, you know, seemingly obscenely expensive loft that, you know, if you've seen the film is, I mean, it yeah. looks like it's multi-million dollars in the heart of Brooklyn. Like, it's, it's hard to imagine where that came from. And, you know, there is a sense that he was given money from, you know, and we're in spoiler territory already. We're talking about the movie at this point, but sure. you know, from the early passing of his parents, that sort of inheritance and a big theme for his character is trying to prove himself, you know, despite starting so early. And when he first meets Herschel, you know, you know, kind of enters into his life, he just assumes, oh, you must be very rich, you know, and he has to deal with that. Well, I haven't really, you know, made my big product just yet. I haven't, you know, made the name for myself yet. I feel like before we get too deep into it, why don't we take a quick break? We'll be right back. And we're back discussing an American pickle starring Seth Rogen with our guest, Yuli Mazinowski. I wanted to kind of start out at the top because I feel like to set the stage of the film, we want, I want to talk about like Seth Rogen as a person, as a filmmaker, as an actor. Uh, I know our, our guest, Yuli, has a, quite a few opinions on this one. So I wanted to toss the mic over to him and see if we could get him started on this. Guide me how you wish. Sure. To me, it seems like not the traditional Seth Rogen film. It's like sort of a passion project or... There's not a lot of dick and fart jokes in this movie. It's somewhat sincere, but obviously it was like a Seth Rogen twist sort of, or, or a, a flavor. And he got his, you know, his director uh, friend, director of photography friend. So it's obviously like a Seth Rogen executive produced. He worked with his buddy, Evan Goldberg uh, on the film as well. So yeah. What is your association traditionally with Seth Rogen? First of all, I did not know anything about this movie other than like the log line in the trailer. Uh-huh. I did not see one bong hit in this film at all. Right. Good point. I He's was a huge shocked. donor. Right, right, right. There's literally no weed. Yeah. It's not a Seth Rogen film without weed, huh? Well, it it's like a throwback, right? When right. someone else was like doing, putting him in movies, you know, when he did like um, Knocked Up with Katie Heigl. Oh, no, wait, there's tons thinking. of weed in that movie. He's a stoner internetpreneur, right? Yeah, I guess so. He's yeah. Like, yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I was very struck by that. Mm hmm kind of ex- expecting a, uh, I don't know, expecting a lot more pot jokes and they were like right. zero. Yeah, that's and, true. 
I don't know. I, feel, I, I was caught off guard by how like introspective the movie is mm-hmm. for, for Seth. I didn't feel like publicly he'd be doing that. And I feel like this is a very public working through religion, frankly. Mm-hmm. You know, if the arc of the of Ben Greenbaum is to learn to admit that he can say Kaddish in public, right? If that's basically the hero's goal, it's that's not a Rogan move, typically. Right. So I'm like, huh, like, imp- it's not, not impressed, but I mean, impressed, but like more surprised. I'm right. just like, oh, that's not expect. I didn't think this movie was going there. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. I think that, you know, what this movie really does is it gets very specific. You know, we've spoken about this with a couple of our movies, you know, when they're sort of projecting Judaism as this, you know, sort of like to reach all audiences in a way that everyone can kind of engage with versus like getting very specific in the sense that the movie isn't exclusively for, you know, religious Jews who are familiar with Kaddish and familiar with some of the words that they're using. But at the same time, you are rewarded if you have that experience. And, you know, the one thing I wanted to call out was the way this word, this movie uses, you know, the name Hashem specifically and the way it says it so casually throughout the film without giving any explanation, it does feel much more personal because of that. And it does feel like Seth Rogen is saying, you know, I'm not doing this for like the, the humor of playing into sort of, you know, Jewish stereo, you know, Jewish tropes, Jewish stereotypes of past and trying to generate humor out of like, look, this wacky, I'm falling back into my religion. But because of how specific I think the movie plays out, it, it makes it feel like this really was a very personal and very much I'm telling my own story, you know, and he you know, clearly this, a lot of this is coming from his background and from, he gives the impression that he had a legitimate, you know, Jewish childhood education to the point that he can actually, you know, express certain ideas here, believably, I think. So I think I read in one of the articles, it was either Seth or Simon had said that if their grandparents knew them at the same age, they would be disappointed with how they like turned out because at, at their ages, they were probably raising kids and going to war and doing all this stuff. And here they are both just like typing away on computers or getting stoned all the time or doing pottery. And so as sincere of a film as it is, as a Seth Rogen piece, I think it is kind of a comedy, right? So right up top, they do establish they have this uh, shovel gag. So we start out the movie and Herschel is like shoveling shit and one shovel breaks and it cracks. And then he gets a second shovel and then it cracks. And then all things are funny in threes. So we get the third shovel and it's made out of like, or maybe he shovels the shit onto the wagon and then the wagon falls. Yeah. And then there's other times like later on when Herschel has come back to, uh, you know, come back to modern times and like he goes to visit his wife's grave and like all this like stuff from the billboard, like falls like right on her grave, like literally just like, so there's like a lot of like moments like that. But I do, I do like how they kind of set it up as a very like Jewish film. I will say that one thing this film has over Yentl is that they actually speak Yiddish in the film and they speak it like effectively. Whereas in thinking, I was thinking of you and watching that. I knew you'd appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, one of the criticisms I had about Yentl was that there was not very much or any Yiddish really spoken in the film. And Mm. it was like a huge missed opportunity. Plus the accents like Herschel's accent is like pretty like fairly legit. I don't know. I I actually read that Seth Rogen met with a a dialect coach specifically for that, like not only to learn the Yiddish accent, but even to translate it into speaking English, you know, with that sort of Yiddish accent. That piece bugged. I gotta say that that piece bugged me. I felt like he was trying to do Sasha Baron Cohen the whole right. time, and okay. I literally couldn't get out of like, oh my god, he's doing a Borat. Why? Just like something else, please. And like that, my one like wrinkle of annoyance. We should say that you are of like Russian descent, so I think you're maybe more finely tuned into that accent. Qualified. 
Yeah, no, it's true. I guess. Yeah. My ear is like, nah, he's not like there yet. He's like right. trying okay. hard and it's sure. consistent, but it's a consistently not there yet. It is greatest summer of my life. We have so much in common. Her favorite color, black. My favorite color, black. Her parents murdered by Cossacks. My parents murdered by Cossacks. While we're on the Jewish tip, I, I did want to point out that Herschel was wearing a wedding ring the entire movie. And I thought that was maybe not something that like a religious Jew at that time would probably be wearing. True. That would be like, I would say other than that, like the beard looked legit. The clothing was solid. Um, a lot of the lines, like a lot of the funnier lines from the film, you know, when he runs into a hipster on the street and he says, oh, where is that from? He says, oh, you know, it's I made it myself. Like all that stuff is from the article. Um, yeah. Cool. But yeah, essentially, like you said, Harry, you know, he gets preserved in a pickle jar, in a pickle vat for a hundred years, comes back to life and he meets his uh, great grandson, who's also Seth Rogen and hijinks ensue. A few differences I kind of wanted to point out between the movie and the article. So in the article, Simon Rich is a script doctor. And so one of the recurring gags in the films is they just like talk about like some ridiculous movie that he's writing on where it's like, these kids movies and just how silly it is. And it, it sort of personifies the difference between Herschel's hardworking job as like a rat smusher and rat killer. And then like he punch Simon rich punches up jokes for an obscene amount of money on these dumb Hollywood films. There's also a character in the article of a non-Jewish girlfriend named Claire, who is sort of a, almost love interest. And uh, she's the one who kind of encourages Herschel's to do pickles again in modern day times. In the article, spoiler alert for the article, he does sell his pickle business to Walmart at the end. And at the last part of the article, he's driving away in a limousine. And one funny scene is like he, he ends up living in an artist commune in the article, which is, you know, a lot of like hipster you know, References. jabs are going through the movie and they also exist in the art in the article as well. So that's sort of the differences between the article and the film. Yeah. And, and that I think that hipster sort of Brooklyn theme definitely carries over to the film. And I think they, they do a very smart thing, which is sort of play off of, you know, how similar and different, I guess, Brooklyn looks 100 years later, you know, where his, you know, old school outfit and his like cap and his beard all are sort of, you know, very of the times and everyone kind of reacts like, oh, and like even the concept of the pickle business, you know, it's just, it's Artisanal like you can get pickles. a, exactly. And it's just like, you could, you know, you could get like, there's, there are few environments where a character from a hundred years ago, from Brooklyn a hundred years ago could get away with driving in. And they do a very clever job of, you know, sort of creating the contrast where that used to be an actual, you know, lifestyle and, you know, an actual culture. And it's kind of become, you know, hipsterified for, you know, for better or for worse, you know, in modern day Brooklyn. So thought I did a good job with that. I find this apropos of pickles, like I was surprised that there were absolutely no like sex jokes in mm. this movie. Yeah. And I'm like, it's called an American pickle starring Seth Rogen. I'm yeah. like waiting, waiting for like the love drama to happen. And aside from, you know, like, him falling. Yeah. Like it never happens and there's no love interest. Right. And like, right. and you know, his marriage is just like very kind of idealized and then like, whoops, he disappears. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I think about, you know, Daniel, you were asking me, you know, Jewish movies in general, it's like American cinema when the Jews are involved, it's like, there's a lot of sex jokes or mm -hmm. there's a lot of like thinking about sex. There's a mm -hmm. lot of that. 
And yeah. like, certainly on the comedy side, I'm not, you know, saying Schindler's list is, is doing any of that stuff, but like sure. on the, if you're being comedic and you're coming at it from like an American Jew perspective, like, yeah, that's a big part of it. And it's, I find, I was surprised at the restraint in this movie. Like they just, he wasn't like, wasn't even interested in going there. Like the humor right. wasn't even leading there. I think that's a great observation about the movie. I think it had a very singular focus in terms mm -hmm. of the story it was trying to tell, the sort of intergenerational thing. You know, the, the part of the movie that struck me as, you know, a clear decision was they, they don't give the younger Seth Rogen character any, you know, any relationships, any friends, like any, you know, meaningful job. Like they, there's a point, there's a point where his, you know, his great, great grandfather is making the joke. He goes like, you can leave. We can do whatever you want. You have no friends. You have no one who cares about you. And it's like, it's played for laughs, but it makes this story feel, I think some ways to its benefit, it makes it feel more like this parable. You know, it's this like weird invented world that's created just to tell this story. And it's yeah. not the only time the movie makes obvious shortcuts. You know, the most notable one is when they sort of like, there's this press conference. Essentially the pickle brine preserved him perfectly. It's been 100 years, but he hasn't aged a day. That's impossible. You don't honestly expect us to buy that, do you? What's the science behind it? Please let me explain. The scientist explains. His logic is good. It satisfies everyone. Oh, God. Yes. Makes sense. Absolutely. Very clear. <laughs> the movie definitely felt, and even the packaging, I, I think it's less than an hour and a half. It's a very quick movie. Yeah. It felt like a sort of protracted parable that had a very specific, you know, focus of what it was, the story was trying to tell, more so than... I think a rounded movie, because I think like a two hour version of this movie definitely has a love interest and, you know, a yeah. subplot where, you know, that goes wrong and then they kind of reconcile at the end. But this movie didn't exactly. have time for that. Yeah. I wanted to go back to something you said, Yuli, about the, the title, American Pickle. I just had two thoughts to kind of ruminate on. One thing is kind of pickles, pres preservation, you know, that could be like sort of a metaphor for like this whole idea of preserving your legacy, preserving family, that kind of thing, and how that mm. kind of holds up. And then mm. the idea that like a pickle is like a problem, right? So like, like there's a problem, yeah. like an American problem. And so what's the problem? It's kind of like, you know, still going back to this idea of, what does Judaism mean in the modern day? And that's maybe like an American problem that we are all kind of going through. So, yeah, I thought, I thought that was an interesting title. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? I think Yeshua Koach. I oh, think thanks. those are all good, very astute observations. Not too stretchy. That's good. No, no, no. I mean, I think it's kind of on some levels, it's like in my like last decade or so, like Seth and his company have really done a great job, like separating from, what I would call their mentors, namely like Judd Apatow. Sure. And so to do that in Hollywood is, is wildly risky and usually results in failure. Like mm -hmm. you have to like be, you, if you're Judd's guy, you're Judd's guy. Like Nick Stoller, who's directed many projects is still in town seen as Judd's guy. Huh. And so Seth had an active break with Judd Apatow, though it's not publicized, he did. Mm -hmm. And like, I find yeah. that like, to his credit, he did it and he figured out a way to have a career, um, both writing and acting and, and directing. I mean, that's an aside. I think what, what I'm trying to say, though, is that sort of like rupture with with people in charge. I feel like it's good that he does this movie because it's fitting. Right. He doesn't I don't feel like he I mean, they sold it in a sort of steadily way. Like Jeff trailer felt like you're watching a Jewish American movie. Right. But like, I feel like. I don't know what this movie is compared to like Woody Allen movies or Mel Brooks movies or, you know, even like Broad City. I feel like 
this lives in a like this is a Jewish film, but it's like not interested in being an American Jewish movie in the way that like a lot of other Jewish entertainers try to pursue. Like it's not in the discourse is what I'm trying to say to sound academic. I feel like it's trying to chart a new kind of path, which is brave, frankly. Yeah. So I think not to spoil my review too much, but I feel like <laughs> there, there were a lot of big swings in the movie and yeah. like they kind of, they try to cram it all in there a little bit. Yeah, to, to stuff so many story pickles into the story pickle jar, yes. not to you know to, to to get another round out of it. You know, I, I mean, we have hipster satire, we have app and dot com and tech satire, we have online hate speech and Twitter, we have mm-hmm. you know the far right and and their sort of uh, lionizing of people who have no idea what they're talking about and the media culture, how they pick up on things and it's all in there and it all happens very quickly. And for me, I feel like it just happens too quickly for any of it to kind of like sink in because you're Mm -hmm. onto the next thing you're onto the next round of cat and mouse, because essentially what happens in the film is Ben and Herschel kind of go head to head, you know, and they, they have a bit of a, a falling out initially. And basically Ben kicks Herschel to the curb. Herschel walks out with his pride and he becomes this pickle, you know, this pickle baron and, and, and Ben is trying to get his app off the ground. And so it sort of becomes, you know, who can one up the other and through a random series of events, Herschel becomes incredibly successful with his business. And then he goes out of business because he doesn't have the right papers. Ben has snitched on him to the department of health. And then he posts on Twitter because Ben tells him to go on Twitter and, he ends up getting himself canceled and then uncanceled and then embraced by the right wing. And then all this stuff happens, but it all like, I'm, what I guess I'm trying to say is it all happens so quickly yeah. that because it happens so quickly, we, it's just hard for us to have any sort of like moment to breathe and kind of like process what's going on. And they just shift right into next gear and they move on to the next thing. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think, especially as we're saying, you know, this this sub 90 minute movie for them to pack everything in there. So, you know, one after the other, it definitely felt like it was bursting at the seams. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of Trump allusions towards the end, this whole political campaign. And you get the sense that this might not have been so present in the original article. And this was a little bit of Seth Rogen trying to work, needle some of that in. But what I think is so cool about what you're saying is, you know, to Yuli's point about this being sort of a Jewish film, not necessarily in the spirit of an American movie, I think there are a lot of detours to a little bit of a more Americanized, you know, path, but they do end the movie in the shtetl, in, you know, the fictional city of Lifshka. And that big climactic moment is him saying Kaddish for the full time, for the first time, you know, and it's that Kaddish, it's this Jewish prayer of remembrance. You understand that need? I, I, I only speak English, I'm sorry. You are Jew? Yeah. We are need. Ten Jew men for Megminion, for Kaddish, prayer for dead. I don't know the words to the, to the prayers. I'm sorry. I, I, it's fine. You're sucking Kaddish. All the words are, you know, pronounced, at least to my ears, pretty accurately and pretty authentically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fact that their final embrace is their ability to come together in prayer you know, the, the, the sort of punchline of the film, the big, you know, emotional climax of the film is about embracing your roots, you know, embracing, you know, your Jewish roots and your Judaism, which isn't such a, 
you know, as part of like a lot of, I think, you know, American Jewish cinema, which, you know, a lot of the, the biggest, you know, Jewish filmmakers are doing sort of um, uh, with like a, like a little bit of an embrace of, you know, a sort of secularized culture or this joint existence. And, you know, the fact that this movie doesn't divorce itself from that, but the fact that it really ends with this full embrace, you know, this unapologetic moment in, you know, surrounded by these very Jewish looking characters, you know, in a, you know, an unnamed shul out in the middle of, you know, this Schlups? random town in Europe. Was it called Schlups? Schlups? Schlups. Like Schlupska? Yeah. Schlups, great. But yeah, like the, <laughs> I, I thought that was a pretty big decision to end the movie there. You know, that's kind yeah. of a lasting image from there. And yeah, I think it, it totally goes to what you were saying. I thought the film ended with them under the overpass at the graves. They were like together. There is that final moment back in America that is which uh, I didn't understand because enough. I thought one of them was deported. I thought Herschel was like deported, which was yeah. actually Ben. But anyway, I didn't get that. But anyway, Ben was whatever. deported. Herschel followed him to Schlupsk and they did Kaddish together. Ah, OK. And then, right. I think they go back to the grave. Yeah. Which like is consistent with the movie's sort of total abandon of any, uh, you know, logic and yeah. necessarily following its rules. It didn't. That's not the point is what right. the movie seems to be saying. Yeah. And I feel like it's interesting that the entire movie, Ben is trying to sell a uh, app that talks about ethics and, you know, it's an ethical app to find out you could scan your kale and see how ethical the producers of this kale are. But I thought, you know, uh, Spoiler alert, it's named after his nickname for his parents. So it all kind of goes back to family and legacy and history and things like that and ethics. But I thought it's interesting that these people, one who's making an ethical app and then one who is a religious Jew, you know, like how ethical are they that they're doing all this stuff to each other to kind of like one up each other? Not the most ethical behavior for people who claim to be ethical people. You know? Definitely not. And what I what I think is interesting about that, and I read some stuff about, you know, Seth Rogen talking about the movie and, you know, this sort of big theme of Jewish guilt. You know, that's obviously a very sort of Jewish theme, but, you know, is definitely present here. And it, I think it reading sort of into the ethical app that he has put together, it's not necessarily born out of this, you know, strong sense of right and wrong, this strong moral compass, more so than it's, you know, it, it, symbolize i think the guilt that he feels that it's like have your food guilt-free like here's a way to feel like ah. you're good what you're eating and i think you know that read yeah and I, I just think that pervades his relationship with you know herschel the entire time where he's just very like you know trying to show for himself and prove that he's you know like a, he's a great you know like progeny you know and he's like doing good for the name and he's like this strong jew but it's it's largely motivated by a lot of guilt i think sure you know, through the end sure a very <clears throat> jewish value guilt you know, it's a, it's a very Jewish motivator. Is it sure. a feeling or a value, Daniel? <laughs> I don't know. It depends. it depends on the day, I suppose. It's interesting, though. I thought that, like, in that sense, the two characters are very different because I read Herschel as being pretty guilt free and kind of like fundamentally driven to sort of recover recover whatever was lost with Sarah, right? His dead wife or yep. dead because he's in the future now. Whereas Ben, Ben was driven by these sort of petty jealousies and, and petty jealousies and this vengeful behavior. I don't know, to me, I, I, again, who knows why? I felt like Rogan's basically saying Herschel's version of ethics makes a lot more sense. Like there's that scene where he's joking with the black character. In terms. Yeah, they're unpaid workers. Right, you compensate them in education and experience. Like slave? No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not what I mean. That's a little bit of an oversimplification.
to a guy a hundred years ago, that's what that is. Right. And in this world, right. There's all these like fancy terms and all this like contemporary stuff. And yet like, wait a sec. Right. So it's a little bit like the, like the old man, the simpleton, but like, is he really a simpleton? Like, is it, you know, can you really say that like Herschel's way of looking at the world is like regressive, whereas Ben's is progressive. I don't know. I feel like the movie sort of flips that on its head. It makes you kind of ally more. I felt I found myself agreeing a lot more with Herschel in general than I was agreeing with Ben Grossbaum. And that was surprising to me. Right. You know, the emotional kind of journey of the film is Ben's character learning to embrace, you know, or sort of just meet the death of his parents head on and actually acknowledge some of the pain that that's caused him. And that's, you know, the Scottish we've been talking about, that's sort of symbolizing him Right. actually acknowledging the fact that they're dead and thinking about them. And I think mm-hmm. he learns that from Herschel's very upfront way of approaching things. And I agree with you. I think all of the walls that Ben puts into himself to, you know, protect himself and also to, you know, like, like, like you were saying, just be careful, use the right words. And just, you know, I, I think all of that guardedness is negated by, or he learns, you know, to look through that with, I think Herschel's approach of just like, you should go to their grave. You should visit them. You're allowed to be sad. And it's like, it's definitely, I think a little bit of meeting of the middle of where they are, because I think the movie does point out some flaws in Herschel's approach and sure. you know, some areas where he needs to be educated. But, um, but I definitely think that the emotional journey is consistent with that, that it's like, you know, stop skating around this. It's okay to embrace, you know, not only sadness, but like your past and you're allowed to, you know, think about, you know, reconnect with, you know, some of these other traits that I think Ben's character has covered up in terms of not yeah. being as religious and not being as culturally Jewish and, you know, kind of hiding that fact a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the movie starts out with Ben when Ben and Herschel first meet and they talk about family, they have the gag about David Bowie on the wall. Who's <laughs> that? Is that your mother? Is that your father? Whatever. Uh, yeah. But then, you know, we start out with Ben not even being able to like look at the photo album at the beginning of his parents and having a difficult time with that. And then, like, as you mentioned, when they do go to the gravesite to visit Sarah's plot, they're not able, Ben is not able to like even look or visit his parents. Haven't, hasn't gone in like five years or so. Um, So he does come a long way, although it's like, you know, it's a measured difference. You know, it's not this huge emotional breakthrough that he has at the end, but he is, he, he comes for him he comes a, a good amount of distance. And I thought I saw some tears in Ben's eyes at the end of the movie. I couldn't be sure, but you know, I saw some, some glass eyes there. And so yeah, Herschel does bring uh, some traits out and, and they maybe do learn a little bit from each other though. Not too much. Cause you know, Herschel is still Herschel and he does do violence to quite a few people. So, <laughs> um, you know, you can't change Herschel that much. That is a running theme um, in the film. Should we take a quick break and we'll go back and give the film some ratings. That's sure. how we thought about it. All right. Sure. Sounds perfect. All right. We'll be right back. And we're back discussing American Pickle. Now we're going to give our ratings of the film. We'll start out by talking about the production of the film, the cast and crew in front of and behind the scenes of the uh, camera. And then we'll kind of go into the Jewish content and then Jewish themes and then kind of wrap up with any closing thoughts or overall. Uh, Yuli, we'll start with you. Um, on a scale of one to five Jewish stars, how Jewish would you say the film is in terms of the cast and crew involved in the making of this film? It's definitely like five out of five Jewish stars. There's okay. no there's no doubt. Even if Seth Rogen is the only Jewish person on screen, the movie, the movie feels Jewish. 
like it's a Jewish movie. I think by design. So five out of five okay. and all the, all the people must have contributed to making that feeling. So I, I think it was quite there. Okay. Harry. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Seth Rogen is certainly the center of this film, you know, and he's both centers of the film. And I think, you know, he's not just an actor who happens to be Jewish. I think even though he hasn't necessarily embraced it as, you know, fully as he does in this movie, he, is someone who carries, you know, weight as being, you know, having a very Jewish sensibility, a Jewish sense of humor. Like that's, he's kind of become one of the modern faces of, you know, what it means to be Jewish humor, whether it's like, you know, his sort of nebishness or, you know, how he's turned the sort of, you know, we persona and played with like themes of guilt in the past. You know, all of these things, I think, give him a sort of Jewish sense. The same way we spoke about, you know, a Mel Brooks movie where the movie doesn't have to be about Jewishness, but, you know, just by having a name like that, that kind of, and obviously the sensibilities he carries with him makes it Jewish. And I think that's definitely present in a lot of Seth Rogen's past work, but here, especially, I think, you know, as a Seth Rogen Jewish film, I would call this, you know, very Jewish because I'm not sure, you know, how many other Jews there were in terms of in the cast and spread around and, you know, the production, I'm, I'm going to give this like a 4.5 just because okay. this wasn't, you know, streaming fully Jewish, but I think with Seth Rogen in the face of it, you know, I'd have to say there's a very high produced, you know, Jewish sure. film. I'm going to have to be the heel of the, of this category. I'm going to go like three and a half stars. Um, you know, I think Seth Rogen is Jewish. Simon Rich most likely is Jewish based on the article. And then I think Elliot Glazer, improv, uh, phenom, you know, uh, sibling, you know, brother of Ilana Glazer of broad city fame. Um, I'm looking through the IMDB credits. I don't see any obviously Jewish people. I see Carol Leifer is in there. Maybe some other of the, um, extras in the sort of schlups scenes, but I don't feel like the main cast of characters besides Seth Rogen and himself. So maybe I'll give him, you know, two acting credits, but mm -hmm. um, the director, I don't know if he's Jewish Brandon trust. So I'm going to go three and a half stars just on the cast and the crew and the production side of it alone. However, our next category is Jewish content. Yuli, how would you like to rate this film on Jewish content? One out of five Jewish stars. Yeah, I, so separate from themes, but more like the content of the film itself, like the plot, sort of like. So this is this is what this is what we were talking about earlier, right? I think he's trying to chart some kind of course in in movies that deal with with questions of Judaism and Jewish identity, and in that sense, I feel like the movie is like a two and a half out of five. I feel like. I think it's, I would call this a really good try. I think it was brave, but I think for the most part, like this film lives on the surface of Judaism, like the very like thinnest outer membrane of Judaism in terms of like awareness. And it, you know, uses a lot of like, I don't want to say stereotypes, but like a guy from a shtetl looks like a guy from a shtetl. I mean, so for me, it was like, in effect, like not, actually Jewish in the way that I would have thought it was. I mean, this, yeah, that's, okay. that's my take. Two and a half out of five. Oof. Harry. I, I was prepared to give it a higher score, but in some ways you forced me to think about, you know, what we see on screen. I, I definitely really think will do scenes, that for sure. That's, that's your effect. I definitely think that the scenes in the beginning is sort of the bookends of the movie when we're spending time in like the shtetl, like that is, you know, as like surface level Jewish, you know, as like, and I think stereotypical in some ways, but 
you know, I think it was legitimate in other ways. I, I thought towards the end when they go to that shul in the end, and it's not, you know, identified as like, you know, you'd see it in, you know, somewhere in America as like the, you know, someone's name, you know, congregation of, you know, whatever. Sure. It's just, it's kind of marked by just like a Jewish star. That's and it. I think just, yeah, using that kind of shorthand and just seeing there, like it felt like, okay, this really does feel grounded in an authentically Jewish world. But you had me thinking about the kind of middle, you know, section of the movie and, as much as we're engaging with, you know, one or I guess two, you know, very Jewish characters, they're not really in an identifiably Jewish world. You know, I think when we think of modern day Brooklyn and a lot of like, you know, the the you know, Hasidic, like the Hasidic community that exists there and some of like, you know, the more, you know, Orthodox Judaism that kind of is at play in, in Brooklyn, they don't really spend time in that world at all. You know, there's, I'm thinking of an offhand comment about, you know, they're getting a bite of pizza and he says, oh, it's kosher. And like, that was a nice yeah. reference that, there, there's kosher food in that world, but the movie doesn't really give a window into what I think would be consistent with, you know, you know, my life living in, you know, New York and, you know, trying to think of what like Jew, Jew, like Jewishness looks like there. So even though a lot of the content obviously is centered around concepts of Jewishness, there's a whole middle third that's about, you know, trying to one up each other and, you know, running for politics. And so I'm mm-hmm. going to go, I'm going to go with a three because hmm. the first uh, three Jewish stars, because the first and second section, you know, the first and third section definitely account for a lot. And there's obviously Jewishness present in the middle, but yeah, it's, it's not so much, it's Jewish characters in a non-Jewish world. I'm kind of where you are in terms of the content, like strictly speaking, the plot of the film is kind of one upsmanship, see who can be a better Greenbaum, you know, a better person and and honor the family legacy more. I can say more of this for like the themes of the film, but in terms of the content, like you said, there are Jewish aspects. The way that they sort of set the table at the beginning with with the using the Yiddish and kind of old timey four by three aspect ratio, very desaturated colors. I love the sort of like uh, the the picture that they took at the wedding. Really nice, kind of like old world you know, Isaac Becerra's singer vibe going on, mm-hmm. you know, that was very Jewish. So I would say that would give me like a star, star and a half. But then as we go through the film, you know, we're talking about things like seltzer and pickles, which certainly have a, you know, soft spot in my heart. I love the seltzer gag like that. That is what Herschel aspires to drink one day when he becomes a wealthy person and Sh- soda stream shout out to soda stream, which is an Israeli company. So yeah. brave move to use that in the film. Really enjoyed that. So there's little things here and there, but like, as you said, you know, Ben is trying to sell an app and also like, you know, ruin his great grandfather's life. And Herschel is trying to sell pickles and ruin his great grandson's life. But nothing about that is like super Jewish. Like if we want to maybe pull something biblical, it could be like a Yaakov and Esav thing, like competing brothers vibe. We always like to stretch this part a little bit, Yuli, where we try to like fold Hmm. in biblical references when they don't fit. Very stretchy. a square shape in a round hole kind of situation where sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, I feel like overall, you know, the end kind of wraps up and we do have this like nice, like, as you said, Harry, nice Jewish bookends. Um, but though, like you said, the middle of the film did not seem super Jewish to me. So I'll probably go like three, three and a half stars as well. Okay. And now we're going to talk about Jewish themes. So thematically, Yuli, how Jewish did you feel like this film was on a scale of one to five Jewish stars? The movie I mean, I hate circling back to this a little bit, but I just keep it in Annie Hall. There's a joke where they're like in Minnesota eating dinner at her family's house. And like Woody's character is like, oh, my well, my my grandma was busy getting raped by Cossacks. 
And I noted that in this movie, the Cossacks were busy murdering the village. These are your parents. Where are they? They passed away. I'm very sorry. Murder or regular. It was a car crash. So regular. You will tell me everything of their death so I may be a witness to your grief. How their bodies died, their faces as the life left. Be very specific. Spare no detail. We will bond over our pain. No detail too small. And I'm like, that had to come from Woody Allen. And mm. so I'm like, thematically, this is a, it, I'm not saying it's Woody Allen 2.0, but I think this is Jewish quote unquote in the way that people want, people see like eating locks and bagels, maybe watching the New York Yankees play baseball, you know, doing like, you know, whatever American Jews do, this movie feels like, culturally Jewish and thematically, you know, not really like on a very cursory way. Like it's, it's like, I, I don't know. I still vibe it as like, it's like four out of five. It's a Jewish movie, the way that Woody Allen made Jewish movies or Mel Brooks did. Sure. They're like Jewish, like culturally, but I don't, I'm not like learning much about the religion in this per se, or like, what makes Jews different from non-Jews or what are like the problems Jews have specific to them being Jews as opposed to just human beings in the world. Yeah. I, I can't believe we hadn't mentioned the Cossacks yet. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> Happy you right. brought it up. Harry. I actually was thinking about the themes quite a bit with this film and you know, how much of is it, is it just like we're using surface level, you know, a lot of you know, sort of Jewish tropes just to tell the story about, you know, these two competitive, uh, whatever relatives and how much is it actually sort of sent like centering the film on some of these themes. And I know, I know I mentioned this one before, but there's definitely a theme of, you know, Jewish guilt here. And I think a lot of Ben's character is motivated by feeling this guilt. And, you know, every time that, uh, Herschel comes up to him and says, you know, oh, you are a strong, you know, you are my strong great grandson. And he's like, yeah, I'm not sure if Sarah would want to see what I'd become. And I'm not sure if I'm there. And I think a lot of this movie is about proving himself to, you know, this older generation and trying to justify, you know, why, how he's become who he's become and, you know, why he is not the same sort of rigid religious Jew in the same way that he is. He kind of explains that away sometimes. And I think guilt is a huge motivating factor in the movie. And then I, there's a couple others, I think, that are really present. You know, we spoke about the Cossacks, and there's definitely this sort of Jewish suffering and kind of being born out, you know, a, a lot of Jewish, you know, humor, Jewish themes are born out of us, you know, most Jews being only a couple generations away, if not, you know, actively present in a lot of Jewish suffering. And that's clearly, you know, a big factor in their relationship here. And I think even the center idea, the central idea of the film of sort of this, I, I guess, religious transmission and cultural transmission and maintaining tradition and you know, I think this big, with the big climax being kind of embracing his roots a little bit more and embracing as well, you know, embracing the religion that he's kind of abandoned. And I think that's inherent to any sort of religion, but especially with Judaism, this concept of trying to preserve tradition in the face of, you know, um, in the face of just newer cultures. And I just think between a couple of those, this definitely feels like this movie really is centering itself around a lot of these Jewish themes and not just, you know, even when it takes its, you know, detours to, you know, the sort of one one upsmanship or this, you know, political American political indictment, of, mm -hmm. you know, Trumpism, it, it still circles its way back to a lot of these Jewish themes. 
So with all that, I, I would say this is pretty high, you know, higher than most of the films we've seen. I, I think I'm still going to stop my, myself short at a 4.5, not go all the way up to five. because, Like I mentioned, there are detours, but I would say a 4.5 Jewish stars here. Uh, I wanted to kind of like poke and prod and maybe push back a little bit about the idea that like carrying on tradition from your previous generation is like a uniquely Jewish thing. I feel like in all like sort of, I mean, I even feel like in some of these like newer Pixar Disney movies where they're like a little bit more diverse. So they're focusing on other cultures. There's maybe this idea of like, you're going to follow in your parents' footsteps and be like, you know, like Moana or something like. I'm thinking like that movie Coco. I absolutely, I think there's this theme of, you know, transmission and tradition. And I think a lot of that movie is about remembering, you know, the older generation and as like the newer generations threatened to lose that sort of culture in that movie, the, it's the newer generations haven't sang any music in a long time because they've kind of rejected music. And, you know, the, also the, the punchline, you know, spoiler alert, but the punchline of that movie is learning to embrace music again and, you know, remembering what, you know, the sort of great, great grandmother, the, the matriarch of the family, you know, that kind of music. So I'm just supporting your challenge to my idea. Oh, so yeah, no, that's you, fine. You need the help. Yeah. No, I totally, I, I'm into it, man. I, I, it's always good to hear from the youths, you know, I want to <laughs> senior youth correspondent, Harry. Exactly. Uh, that, that's like been my S- role this week. Yeah, exactly. No, I feel like that while it is a very strong Jewish idea to like preserve your family's traditions and to carry things on and not be a disappointment to your family. I feel like it is a common theme in a lot of movies these days. Um, and it's good to see it in here, but I wouldn't say like it is unique to the Jewish experience. Um, I feel like there is a good amount of like self-imposed guilt, but although there is a part in the film where, you know, maybe moments after meeting each other in Ben's apartment, Herschel's already giving him a little bit of like, be defending the honor of our family more if I wasn't busy trying to create a company and a product, man. You're busy? Oh, yes. Not selling boot pops. You don't understand how much pressure there is on this stuff, okay? I'm trying to make it perfect. Blue, green, red. Who cares? Pick a color. Companies are made or broken by the color of their logo. So there is that sort of like grandparently Jewish guilt that seems familiar to, to most of us. Um, mm. But I would say... You know, overall, because they do try to tackle everything in the film and they do take so many big swings, which kudos to Seth Rogen for doing kind of like a different sort of film and and trying it out. Um, I do feel like it was kind of like surface level on some parts. I might just go three and a half stars on that. Before we move on, I'll just jump into the uh, transmission thing that you said to me, that tradition, just because, you know, a healthy back and forth is is, makes for a good podcast. Very Talmudic. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. But um, I, I definitely see what you're saying. And I definitely think that tradition is a, is a theme that's not inherent exclusively to Judaism. But sure. I think I, I feel like it's not, that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be, you know, mutually exclusive. And mm-hmm. it's something that, and I, I, I was even, you know, in my own version, extrapolating to like religion, you know, a concept of religion is just about preserving the traditions of the past, because that's how religions continue. And that's how I think all cultures continue, which is why, like you're saying, as Disney explores other cultures, that becomes a huge theme because that is how culture is transmitted. Sure. But it does feel like that is a big part of Judaism. And whether that's if you get very granular about the specific laws that might be attempting to preserve that or if it's just yeah as as another one of these cultures as another one of these religions it is you know prizing itself on like on being traditional on maintaining tradition and i think for a movie to explore that i think that is not something you'll see necessarily in most movies and i think for the movie to do that through this jewish context as Mm -hmm. the movie obviously is operating in that makes it 
a sort of Jewish version of you know tradition, and that that colors this as tradition in Judaism, and that that's kind of how I read the movie. Yeah, excuse me, one second. Yeah. I think I have. Oh, I have that half star from the other episode where I took it away. So I'll throw that other half star that I kept from the other episode. It's a callback to another episode where we took back a half star from another review. I'm going to throw that in. Harry, you've convinced me. I'll go four stars out of five for Jewish themes. Yuli, any closing thoughts on the film, American Pickle? Did you like the movie? What was your overall thought of the movie? Would you watch it again? Would you recommend it to friends? I usually don't watch movies more than once the only exception is really the big lebowski mm -hmm. um <laughs> so no i wouldn't watch it again not because it's not a good movie i think this podcast made the movie more interesting to me actually like thank you I yeah guess. i'm like okay. oh we just like talked we went we went there and it's like we like this time is moving quickly it's like in a sense the podcast is moving more quickly than the movie i felt the movie was like flawed but i'm not like saying that to be a hater i'm like you can't get a movie made like this in hollywood um by a major studio so the fact that he got sony to pay money to me is very impressive mm -hmm. that hbo max bought it and gave it a release even though it was online is impressive i mean i'm impressed by the whole thing but it's not something i need to see again to think about things i don't think it was that kind of film for me harry I think that's what you were saying about just sort of watching it in this new lens with the podcast. You know, that's exactly what this podcast has done for all the movies that we've talked about. And it's cool to consider these movies through a Jewish lens. And I think it doesn't happen very often where a movie is this explicitly Jewish. And we've been trying to find those movies, but we're also talking about some that, you know, we have to read in like sort of its Jewishness. And I think mm -hmm. the movie's sheer existence, and, you know, I mentioned this earlier, but the way that they sort of use the name Hashem a bunch of times and the way that they are just mm -hmm. so authentically grounded in Judaism at moments makes this like, I was excited at the time to tell people like, this is crazy that I'm watching this on a major, you know, streaming service with a major like cast. And it's like, this, this movie is like, un, you know, like unabashedly Jewish. And I was wondering, you know, I wonder if someone, you know, not Jewish with a little, you know, less familiarity with Jewish culture and tradition is like turning this on. Like, I wonder what they're thinking. This is kind of weird to see it. So yeah, for that, for that alone, it was really exciting to watch it. So in terms of recommending it to people, I remember I did at the time, and I hope people listen to this podcast and either, you know, watch it before or decide to watch it afterwards, because it is really cool to see that. Yeah. But yeah, you know, overall, it was it was a fine film. I, I think I agree with a lot of what you've been saying, Daniel, that it kind of goes all over the place at times. And it, you know, jumps, pulls a lot of different threads in a very short amount of time. So I don't find myself revisiting the whole movie so much, but Rewatching parts of it, I I enjoyed it. I definitely yeah. Did. Yeah, I remember seeing the ads for it, and my friend Avi, shout out to Avi Blumenstein, he looks a lot like Herschel in this picture. I have to <laughs> pull it up, and I like saw the picture, and I was like, oh, I don't know what this movie is. So this is Herschel right here, right? Yeah. And there, and there's my friend Avi, um, right there. So I don't know. I saw the picture. I sent it to Avi initially and I was like, what is this Seth Rogen movie coming out? That's called an American pickle. I had no idea about the Simon Rich article. I didn't know anything about it. I watched the movie the first time and I was like, this is an interesting movie, you know, but I feel like the premise, the idea, like the initial funny premise kind of like wore thin throughout the movie. Like, so it's like a fish out of water story essentially. And like the whole pickle thing, you know, I felt like I would have loved more time 
in pick in Herschel's era, to be honest, like him kind of shoveling more shit and more of that kind of stuff. It would have been a little bit more interesting than like more hipster satire. Like, I feel like that's been played to death. And yeah, I feel like if maybe if we cut out like one or two of these like side stories from the film, this sort of like cat and mouse thing, it was just fine, you know, I, but it did like kind of have the article to sort of like guide it through some of the plot points. I did like, you know, the sort of Jewishness of it mm-hmm. and, and, and the idea of family and things like that, it, but it was kind of like surface level overall. But I do feel like if someone was looking for a Seth Rogen film, like to what you were saying, Yuli, if they were expecting bong hits and penis jokes and fart jokes and, you know, crude sex acts, they're not going to find it in this film. And so I do wonder if someone who's not a avid Seth Rogen fan or just like a, if a non-Jew would enjoy this film, like, would it appeal to them? I don't know. I feel like I've seen it twice in my life and I feel like that's probably good for me. Um, but I do, oh, not to shit on the film, but I'm just, you know, I, no, I get it's it. Fine. And I appreciate what Seth Rogen has done with the film and trying to make something very different. But yeah, overall, I feel like it was a it was a good film. I would suggest people listening to the podcast, as always, watch the film, check it out. Julie, I wanted to throw it to you and see if you had any like plugs or anything you wanted to talk about. Besides our mostly Shabbat walks, is there anything you want to plug or promote? Any cool films or books or anything you want to that, uh, you know, that you're you mentioned a few before, but I want to give you a few minutes to to your horn, as it were. Well, first off, thank you guys both for having me on the podcast. Our pleasure. I did have an awesome time, as I thought I would. So now it's confirmed since we've reached the end. I think American Pickles, like, as like an object, I feel like 10, 20 years from now, you'd be like, yeah, Rogan did do that thing where he was like, you know, the like the from guy who got thrown in a pickle jar. Remember that? Like, it's like a movie. Like, there is something very memorable visually about this thing. So... So yeah, no, I've I've had a really good time, you guys. Nothing to plug. Just enjoying how you do this, how you frame this, and how you do your work. So keep it up. Thanks. Thanks so much, Harry. Any final words? No, this this was a really great conversation. Thanks for joining us, Yuli. Thanks as always, Daniel. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited to recommend this movie to everyone, and here's some more thoughts. Fantastic. Yeah. I feel like the next thing I'm calling it now in 10 years, Seth Rogen's going to have this like indie drama about a stoner Hollywood guy who does pottery and then something goes awry. Just this sort of like more sort of self-reflective cinema. You heard it here first. That's my, that's my call of 2022. Uh, thanks so much, Yuli. Thanks so much, Harry. Uh, thank thanks you all for you. listening. Thanks, thank you all so much for listening to Jews on film. Um, this has been our review of an American pickle as always. Follow us on social media. We are on Instagram at Jews on Film and other places, I think. Maybe we'll see uh, on Jews on Film. Feel free to tag us or message us if you have any suggestions or recommendations for films you want us to check out. Have a great week. Bye. Jews on Film is hosted and produced by Daniel Zana and Harry Ottensaucer. Daniel Zana edited this episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Jews on Film. And subscribe to our podcast to get new episodes. Thanks for listening.